Chapter Nine of In the Reign of Terror by George Alfred Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the Reign of Terror by George Alfred Henty. Chapter Nine Robespierre. After dark, Harry presented himself at Louise Malan's. Have you thought of anything, Harry? was Jeanne's first question. She was alone, for Louise was cooking, and Virginie had laid down and cried herself to sleep. "'I have thought of a number of things,' he replied, for while he had been sitting by Victor's bedside, he had turned over in his mind every scheme by which he could get Marie out of prison. But at present I have fixed upon nothing. I cannot carry out our original plan of seizing Marais. It would require more than one to carry out such a scheme, and a friend whom I relied upon before can no longer aid me.' "'Who is it?' Jean asked quietly. Is it Victor de Casson? What? Bless me, Jean! Harry exclaimed in surprise. How did you guess that? I felt sure it was Victor all along, the girl said. In the first place, I never believed that he had gone away. Marie told me she had begged and prayed him to go, and that he had only gone to please her. She seemed to think it was right he should go, but I didn't think so. A gentleman should not run away and leave anyone he liked behind, even if she told him. It was not likely. "'Why, here are you, staying here and risking your life for us, though we are not related to you and have no claim upon you. And how could Victor run away? But as Marie seemed pleased to think he was safe, I said nothing. But I know if he had gone, and some day they had been married, I should never have looked upon him as a brother. But I felt sure he wouldn't do it, and that he was in Paris still. Then again, you did not tell us the name of the friend who was working with you, and I felt sure you must have some reason for your silence. So, putting the two things together, I was sure that it was Victor.' "'What has happened to him? Is he in prison, too?' "'No, he is not in prison, Jean,' Harry said. "'But he is very ill.' And he related the whole circumstances of Victor's fever. "'I blamed myself awfully at first for having hit him so hard, as you may suppose, Jean. But the doctor said he thinks it makes no difference, and that Victor's delirium is due to mental shock and not in any way to the blow on the head. Still, I should not like your sister to know it. I am very glad you have guessed the truth, for it is a comfort to talk things over with you.' "'Poor Marie,' Jean said softly. "'It is well she never knew about it. "'The thought that he had got safely away kept her up. "'And now tell me about your plans. "'Could I not take Victor's place and help you seize Marais? "'I am not strong, you know, but I could hold a knife "'and tell him I would kill him if he cried out. "'I don't think I could, you know, but he wouldn't know that.' "'I am afraid that wouldn't do, Jean,' Harry said with a slight smile, shaking his head. "'It was a desperate enterprise for two of us.' Besides, it would never do for you to run the risk of being separated from Virginie. Remember, you are father and mother and elder sister to her now. The next plan I thought of was to try and get appointed as a warder in the prison, but that seems full of difficulties, for I know no one who could get me such a berth, and certainly they would not appoint a fellow at my age unless by some extraordinary influence. Then I thought if I let out I was English I might get arrested and lodged in the same prison, and might help her get out then. From what I hear the prisoners are not separated, but all live together.' "'No, no, Harry!' Jean exclaimed in a tone of sharp pain. "'You must not do that, of all things. We have only you, and if you are once in prison we might never get you out again. Besides, there are lots of other prisons, and there is no reason why they should send you to La Force rather than anywhere else. No, I will never consent to that plan.' "'I thought it seemed too doubtful myself,' Harry said. "'Of course, if I knew that they would send me to La Force, I might risk it. I could hide a file and a steel saw about me, and might cut through the bars.' but as you say there is no reason why they should send me there rather than anywhere else i would kill that villain who arrested her the scoundrel after being a guest at the chateau 
but I don't see that would do your sister any good, and would probably end in my being shut up. The most hopeful plan seems to me to try and bribe some of the warders. Some of them, no doubt, would be glad enough to take money, if they could see their way to letting her out without fear of detection. But you know we thought of that before, Harry, and agreed it would be a terrible risk to try it, for the very first man you spoke to might turn round on you. Oh, there is a certain risk, Jean, anyway. There is no getting a prisoner out of La Force without running some sort of risk. The thing is to fix on as safe a plan as we can. However, we must think it out well before we do try. A failure would be fatal, and I do not think there is any pressing danger just at present. It is hardly likely there will be any repetition of the wholesale work of the 2nd of September, and if they have anything like a trial of the prisoners, there are such numbers of them, so many arrested every day, that it may be a long time before they come to your sister. I do not mean that we should trust to that, only that there is time for us to make our plans properly. Have you thought of anything? I have thought of all sorts of things since you left this morning, Harry, but they are, like yours, just vague sorts of schemes that do not seem possible when you try to work them out. I do not know whether they let you inside the prisons to sell everything to the prisoners, because if I did, I might go in with something and see Marie, and find out how she could be got out. Harry shook his head. I do not think anyone would be allowed in like that, but if they did it would be only a few to whom the privilege would be granted. Yes, I thought of that, Harry, but one of them might be bribed, perhaps, to let me take her place. It might be possible, Harry said, but there would be a terrible risk, and I don't think any advantage to compensate for it. Even if you did get to her, and spoke to her, we should still be no nearer to getting her out. Still, we mustn't be disheartened. We can hardly expect to hit upon a scheme at once, and I don't think either of our heads is very clear today. Let us think it over quietly, and perhaps some idea may occur to one of us. I expect it will be to you. Now good-night. Keep your courage up. I rely upon you very much, Jeanne, and you don't know what a comfort it is to me that you are calm and brave, and that I can talk things over to you. I don't know what I should do if I had it all on my own shoulders." Jeanne made no answer, but her eyes were full of tears as she put her hands into Harry's, and no sound came from her lips in answer to his good-night. "'That girl's a trump, and no mistake,' Harry said to himself as he descended the stairs. "'She has got more pluck than most women, and is as cool and calm as if she were twice her age. Most girls would be quite knocked over if they were in her place. Her father and mother murdered, her sister in the hands of these wretches, and danger hanging over herself and Virginie. It isn't that she doesn't feel it. I can see she does. Quite as much, if not more, than people who would sit down and howl and wring their hands. She is a trump, Jean is, and no mistake. And now about Marie. She must be got out somehow. But how? That is the question. I really don't see any possible way except by bribing her guards, and I haven't the least idea how to set about that. I think to-morrow I will tell Jacques and his wife all about it. They may know some of these men, though it isn't likely that they do. Anyhow, three heads are better than one. Accordingly, next morning, he took the kind-hearted couple into his counsel. When they heard that the young lady who had been arrested was the fiancée of their sick lodger, they were greatly interested, but they shook their heads when he told them he was determined at all hazards to get her out of prison. "'It isn't the risk so much,' Jacques said, "'that I look at. Life doesn't seem of much account in these days, but how could it be done? Even if you made up your mind to be killed, I don't see that would put her a bit nearer to getting out of prison. The place is too strong to break into, or break out of.' "'No, I don't think it is possible to succeed in that sort of way. But if the men who have the keys of the corridors could be bribed, and the guards at the gate put soundly to sleep by drugging their drink, it might be managed. Jacques looked sharply at Harry to see if he was in earnest, and seeing that he was so, said dryly, "'Yes, if we could do those things we should, no doubt, see our way. But how could it be managed?' "'That is just the point, Jacques. In the first place, it will be necessary to find out in which corridor Mademoiselle de saint saul is confined. In the second, 
to let her know that we are working for her and to learn if possible from her whether among those in charge of her there is one man who shows some sort of feeling of pity and kindness when that is done we should of course try to get hold of him of course he doesn't remain in prison all day however we could see about that after we had found out the first points i know a woman who is a sister to one of the warders elise medart said i don't know whether he is there now or whether he has been turned out martha is a good soul and i know that sometimes she has been inside the prison i suppose to see her brother for before the troubles the warders used to get out only once a month what her brother is like i don't know but if he is like her he would i think be just the man to help you yes jacques assented i didn't think of martha she is a good soul and would do her best i am sure thank you both harry said but i do not wish you to run any risks you have already incurred the greatest danger by sheltering my friend i cannot let you hazard your lives further this woman may as you say be ready to help us but her brother might betray the whole of us and screen his sister by saying that she had only pretended to enter into the plot in order to betray it we all risk our lives every day jacques said quietly i am sure we can trust martha and she will know whether she can rely completely upon her brother if she can we will set her to sound him elise will go and see her to-day and you shall know what she thinks of it when you come this evening for your night's watching greatly pleased with this unexpected stroke of luck harry went off at once to tell jean that the outline of a plan to rescue marie had been fixed upon the girl's pale face brightened up at the news perhaps she said we may be able to send a letter to her i should like to send her just a line to say that virginie and i are well do you think it can be done i do not know jean at any rate you can rely that if it is possible and all goes well she shall have it but be sure and give no clue by which they might find you out if the letter falls into wrong hands tell her we are working to get her free and ask if she can suggest any way of escape knowing the place she may see opportunities of which we know nothing write it very small only on a tiny piece of paper so that a man can hide it anywhere slip it into her hand or put it in her ration of bread jeanne wrote the little note a few loving words and the message harry had given her do not sign your name to it harry said she will know well enough who it comes from and it is better in case it should fall into anyone else's hands that evening harry learned that the woman had consented to sound her brother who was still employed in the prison she had said she was sure he would not betray her even if he refused to aid in the plan i am to see her to-morrow morning elise said she will go straight from me to the prison she says discipline is not nearly so strict as it used to be there is a very close watch kept over the prisoners but friends of the guard can go in and out without trouble except that on leaving they have to be accompanied by a guard to the door so as to be sure that no one is passing out of disguise she says her brother is good-natured but very fond of money he is always talking of retiring and settling down in a farm in brittany where he comes from and she thinks that if he thought he could gain enough to do this he would be ready to run some risk for he hates the terrible things that are being done now he seems just the man for us harry said will you tell your friend when you see her in the morning that i will give her twenty louis and her brother a hundred if he can succeed in getting marie out i will tell them sir that offer will set his wits to work i have no doubt harry then gave her the note jean had written for the woman to hand to her brother for the delivery if he proved willing to enter into their plan harry had a quiet night of watching for victor lay so still that his friend several times leaned over him to see if he breathed the doctor had looked in late and said that the crisis was at hand to-morrow your friend will either sink or he will turn the corner he is asleep now and will probably sleep for many hours he may never wake again he may wake recognize you for a few minutes and then go off in a last stupor he may wake stronger and with a chance of life here is a draught that you will give him as soon as he opens his eyes pour besides three or four spoonfuls of soup down his throat and if he keeps awake do the same every half hour 
it was not until ten o'clock in the morning that victor opened his eyes he looked vaguely round the room and there was no recognition in his eyes as they fell upon harry's face but they had lost the wild expression they had worn while he lay there and harry felt renewed hope as he lifted his head and poured the draught between his lips then he gave him a few spoonfuls of soup and had the satisfaction of seeing his eyes close again and his breathing become more and more regular the doctor when he came in and felt victor's pulse nodded approval the fever has quite left him he said i think he will do now it will be slow very slow but i think he will regain his strength as to his mind of that i can say nothing at present about midday elise returned i have good news monsieur she said at once i waited outside the prison till martha came out her brother has agreed to help if he can but he said that he did not think it would be at all possible to get mademoiselle out there are many of the men of the Faborges mixed up with the old warders, and there is the greatest vigilance to ensure that none escape. There would be many doors to be opened, and the keys are all held by different persons. He says he will think it over, and if it is any way possible he will risk it. But he wishes first of all to declare that he does not think that any way of getting her out can be discovered. He will give her the note on the first opportunity, and get an answer from her, which he will send to his sister as soon as he gets a chance. "'That is all we can expect,' Harry said joyfully. I did not expect that it would be an easy business, or that the man would be able to hit upon a scheme at once, but now that he has gone so far as to agree to carry notes, the thought that he may, if he succeeds, soon have his little farm in Brittany will sharpen his wits up wonderfully. It was three days before an answer came from Marie. Jacques handed it to Harry, when he came to take his turn by Victor's bedside. Victor was better, he was no longer unconscious, but followed with his eyes the movements of those in the room. Once he had said, "'Where am I?' but the answer, you are with friends, you have been ill, you shall hear all about it when you get stronger, had apparently satisfied him. At Harry he looked with doubtful recognition. He seemed to remember the face, but to have no further idea about it, and even when Harry said cheerfully, "'Don't you remember your friend Harry, Victor?' he had shaken his head in a feeble negative. "'I expect it will all come back to him,' Jacques said, "'as he gets stronger, and after all it is much better that he should remember nothing at present.' it will be quite time enough for that when he is better able to stand it i agree with you there harry said and i am really glad that he did not remember me for had he done so the past might have come back at once and feeble as he is that would have completely knocked him over upon the receipt of marie's note harry at once started off at full speed and soon had the satisfaction of handing it to jeanne she tore it open do you not know what it is harry how could i harry replied as you see the letter is addressed to you of course i should not think of looking at it why not you are as much interested in it as i am sit down between me and virginie and let us read it together why it is quite a long epistle it was written in pencil upon what was evidently a fly-leaf of a book and ran as follows my darling jean and virginie you can imagine what joy i felt when i received your little note to-day and heard that you were still safe I could hardly believe my senses when, on opening the little ball of paper which one of our guards thrust into my hand, I found that it was from you, and that you were both safe and well. I am writing this crouched down on the ground behind Madame de Vigny, and so hidden from the sight of our guards, but I can only write a few lines at a time, lest I should be detected. Tell our good friend that I fear there is little chance of escape. We are watched day and night. We are locked up at night, three or four together, in little cells, but in the day we are in a common hall. It is a strange mixture. Here are many of the best blood in France, together with deputies, advocates, and writers. We may talk together as much as we like, and sometimes even a joke and a laugh are heard. Every day some names are called out, and these go, and we never see them again. Do not fret about me, my dear sisters. We are all in God's hands. If it is His will, we shall be saved. 
If not, we must bravely face whatever comes. It is a day since I last wrote. A strange thing has happened which will make your blood boil, Jeanne, as it has made mine. I was called out this morning to a little room, where the questions are sometimes asked us, and who do you think was there? Monsieur Labat, the son of the mayor of Dijon, the man who denounced and arrested me. What do you think the wretch had the insolence to say? That he loved me, and that if I would consent to marry him he could save me. He said that his influence would suffice, not only to get me free, but to obtain for me some of our estates, and he told me he would give me time to consider his offer, but I must remember that nothing could save me if I refused. What do you think I did, Jean? Something very unladylike, I am afraid. I made a step closer to him, and then I gave him a slap on the face which made my fingers tingle. Then I made him a deep curtsy and said, That is my answer, Monsieur Lebas, and walked into the great hall again. But do not let me waste a line of this last precious letter that I may be able to write to you by saying more about this wretch. I can see no possible way of escape, dears, so do not buoy yourselves up with hope. I have none. Strange as it may seem to you, we are not very unhappy here. There are many of our old friends, and some of the deputies of the Gironde, who used to attend our salon. We keep up each other's courage. We talk of things just as if we were in a drawing-room, and when the list is called out of the morning, those who are named say good-bye bravely. There is seldom a tear shed. So do not think of me as wretched or unhappy in these last days. And now, my sisters, I must say adieu. You must trust yourselves entirely to our brave English friend, as you would trust a brother. He will do all that is possible to take you out of this unhappy land, and conduct you to England, where you will find Victor, Monsieur de Toulay, and your brothers, who have, I trust, weeks ago arrived there in safety. Thank our friend from me and from our dead parents for his goodness and devotion. That your lives may be happy, my dear sisters, will be the last prayer of your loving Marie. Inside the letter was another tiny note, addressed for Jean, private. Having read the other, Jean took the little note, and walking to the window, opened it. As she did so, a burning flush of colour swept across her face to her very brow. She folded it carefully again, and stood looking through the window silently for a quarter of an hour, before she came back to the table. "'What is it, Jean?' Virginie asked. "'Have you been crying, Jean, dear? You look so flushed. You must not fret. Harry says we must not give up hope, for he believes he may hit upon some plan of saving Marie yet. He says it's only natural that she should think there were no means of getting away, but it was only what he expected. It is we who must invent something.' "'Yes, dear, we will try,' Jean said with a quiver in her lip, and then she suddenly burst into tears. "'You mustn't give way, Jean,' Harry said, when she recovered herself a little. "'You know how much I trust to your advice. If you were to break down, I should lose heart. Do not think of Marie's letter as a good-bye. I have not lost hope yet by a long way. Why, we have done wonders already in managing to get a letter in to her, and to have her reply. I consider half the difficulty is over now we have a friend in there.' "'I will try not to break down again,' Jean said. It is not often I give way, but to-day I do not quite feel myself, and this letter finished me. You will see that I shall be all right to-morrow. "'I hope so,' Harry said as he rose to leave. "'But I think you had better ask Louise to give you something. Your hands are hot and your cheeks are quite flushed, and you look as if you were feverish. Good night, dears.' "'I do hope Jean is not going to break down,' Harry said as he walked towards his lodging. "'If she were to get laid up now, that would be the finishing touch to the whole affair.' but perhaps, as she says, she will be all right in the morning. No doubt in that note Marie wrote as if she were sure of dying, and such a letter as that would be enough to upset any girl, even such a plucky one as Jeanne. However, it is of Marie I must think now. It was a brave letter of hers. It is clear she has given up all hope. This is a bad business about the scoundrel Lebas. I used to wonder why he came so often to the chateau on business that could have been done just as well by a messenger. He saw how things were going, and thought that when the division of the estates came he might get a big slice. 
however it is most unfortunate that he should have had this interview with marie in the prison if it had not been for that it might have been months before her turn came for trial as it is no doubt Labas will have her name put down at once in the list of those for trial if such a farce can be called a trial and will see that no time is lost before it appears on that fatal list for execution he will flatter himself of course that when the last moment comes and she sees there is no hope whatever she will change her mind there is one thing if she is murdered i will kill him as i would a dog for he will be her murderer just as much as if he had himself cut her throat i would do it at once if it were not for the girls i must not run any unnecessary risks at any rate i need not think of him now the one thing at present is to get marie out turning this over in his mind he walked about for some hours scarce noticing where he was going it seemed to him that there must be some way of getting marie out if he could only hit upon it he turned over in his mind every escape he had ever read of but in most of these the prisoner had been a man capable of using tools passed into him to saw through iron bars pierce walls or overcome jailers some had been saved by female relatives wives or daughters who went in and exchanged clothes and places with them but this was not feasible here this was not a prison where relatives could call upon friends for to be a relative or a friend of a prisoner was quite sufficient in the eyes of the terrorists to mark any one as being an enemy of the republic he was suddenly roused from his reverie by a cry and beneath the dim light of a lantern suspended over the narrow street he saw a man feebly defending himself against two others he sprang forward just as the man fell and with his stick struck a sharp blow upon the uplifted wrist of one of the assailants sending the knife he was holding flying through the air the other turned upon him but he drew the pistol which he always carried beneath his clothes and the two men at once took to their heels harry replaced his pistol and stooped over the fallen man are you badly hurt he asked no i think not but i do not know i think i slipped down but they would have killed me had you not arrived well let me get you to your feet harry said holding out his hands but with a feeling of some disgust at the abject fear expressed in the tone of the man's voice he was indeed trembling so that even when harry hauled him to his feet he could scarcely stand you had better lean against the wall for a minute or two to recover yourself harry said i see you have had your coat cut on the shoulder and are bleeding pretty freely but it is nothing to be frightened about if you will give me your handkerchief i will bind it up for you harry unbuttoned the man's coat for his hands shook so much that he was unable to do so pulled the arm out of the sleeve and tied the bandage tightly round the shoulder the man seemed to belong to the bourgeois class and evidently was careful as to his attire which was neat and precise his linen and the ruffles of his shirt were spotlessly white and of fine material the short-waisted coat was of olive-green cloth with bright metal buttons the waistcoat extending far below the coat was of a light buff colour brocaded with a small pattern of flowers when he had bound the wound harry helped him on with his coat again he was by this time recovering himself oh these aristocrats he murmured how they hate me the words startled harry what was this he had not interfered as he supposed to prevent the robbery of some quiet citizen by the ruffians of the streets it was a political assassination that had been attempted a vengeance by royalists upon one of the men of the revolution he looked more closely at the person whose life he had saved he had a thin and insignificant figure his face was pale and looked like that of a student it seemed to harry that he had seen it before but where he could not say his first thought was one of regret that he had interfered to save the life of one of the men of the second of september then the thought flashed through his mind that there might be some benefit to be derived from it young man the stranger said will you give me your arm and escort me home you have saved my life it is a humble one but perhaps it is of some value to france i live but two streets away it is not often i am out alone for i have many enemies but i was called suddenly out on business though i have no doubt now the message was a fraudulent one designed simply to put me into the hands of my foes 
the man spoke in a thin, hard voice, which inspired Harry, he knew not why, with a feeling of repulsion. He had certainly heard it before. He offered him his arm and walked with him to his door. "'Come up, I beg you,' the stranger said. He ascended to the second floor and rang a bell. A woman with a light opened it. "'Why, my brother!' she exclaimed on seeing his face. "'You are ill. Has anything happened?' "'I have been attacked in the street,' he said. "'But I am not hurt, though had it not been for this citizen it would have gone hardly with me. You have to thank him for saving your brother's life.' They had entered a sitting-room now. It was plainly but very neatly furnished. There were some birds in cages which, late though the hour was, hopped on their perches and twittered when they heard the master's voice, and he responded with two or three words of greeting for them. "'Set the supper,' he said to his sister. "'The citizen will take a meal with us.' "'You know who I am, I suppose,' he said to Harry. "'No,' Harry replied. "'I have a recollection of your face and voice, but I cannot recall where I have met you.' "'I am Robespierre,' he said. Harry gave a start of surprise. This man whom he had saved was the one whom he had so often execrated, one of the leaders of those who had deluged France with blood, the man who, next only to Marais, was hated and feared by the royalists of France. His first feeling was one of loathing and hatred, but at that same moment there flashed through his mind the thought that chance had favoured him beyond his hopes, and that the comedy which he had planned with Victor to carry out upon the person of Marais had come to pass without premeditation, but with Robespierre as the chief actor. But so surprised and delighted was he that for a minute he sat unable to say a word. Robespierre was gratified at the effect which his name had produced. He was a strangely mixed character, at once timid and bold, shrinking from personal danger, yet ready to urge the extremest measures. Simple in his tastes, and yet very vain and greedy of applause. Domestic and affectionate in his private character, but ready to shed a river of blood in his public capacity. Pure in morals, passionless in his resolves, incorruptible and inflexible, more dangerous because he had neither passion nor hate, because he had not, like Danton and Marais, a lust for blood, but because human life to him was as nothing, because, had he considered it necessary that half of France should die for the benefit of the other half, he would have signed their death warrant without emotion or hesitation. "'You are surprised, young man,' he said, "'but the ways of fate are inscrutable. The interposition of a youth has thwarted the schemes of the enemies of France. Had you been but ten seconds later I should have ceased to be.' and one of the humble instruments by which fate is working for the regeneration of the people would have perished. While Robespierre was speaking, Harry had rapidly thought over the role which it would be best for him to adopt. Should he avow his real character, and ask for an order for the liberation of Marie as a recompense for the service he had rendered Robespierre, or should he retain his present character, and obtain Robespierre's confidence? There was danger in an open appeal, for, above all things, Robespierre prided himself upon his incorruptibility, and he might consider that to free a prisoner for service rendered to himself would be a breach of his duty to France. He resolved, therefore, to keep silence at present, reserving an appeal to Robespierre's gratitude for the last extremity. "'Pardon me, monsieur,' he said, after he had rapidly arrived at this conclusion. "'My emotion was naturally great at finding that I had unwittingly been the means of saving the life of one on whom the eyes of France are fixed. I rejoice, indeed, that I should have been the means of preserving such a life.' This statement was strictly true, although not, perhaps, in the sense in which Robespierre regarded it. "'We will talk more after supper,' he said. "'My sister is, I see, ready with it. Indeed, it is long past our usual hour, and we were just setting down when I was called out by what purported to be an important message from the club.'" End of chapter 9